The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 215. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Physician heroes. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing The Abominable Snowmen. And joining me today on the panel are Father Cory St- Stika. Hi, Father Cory. <laughs> you got Abominable, but you didn't get my name right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I worked so hard to get Abominable right that I let everything else in my brain go. <laughs> and Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, if you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your, even your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. All right, so we're t- we are talking about this second Doctor story, The Abominable Snowmen, or uh, as I like to subtitle it, the Bumble's Bounce, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it this aired in uh, September through November of 1967. It's six episodes in this serial, uh, of which only one still exists in uh, video format. That we only have the second mm-hmm. episode uh, preserved. Uh, so we so we should talk about how we individually experienced yep. it, so people yeah. will know what the options are. Now, obviously, there there is a book adaptation of it. There are audio adaptations. The one video episode that survives, episode two, is available on a Lost in Time DVD set mm-hmm. that includes episodes from the Hartnell and Troughton eras that are only partial stories. So it's just, here's whatever we have from these mm-hmm. lost stories. And I happen to have that, so I could watch episode two and see it by itself. Mm-hmm. Then for episode one and episodes three through six, I watched a fan-made reconstruction on daily on the Daily Motion website. There's a page there called El Doctorio where they feature fan reconstructions by loose cannon. And these are these are better than a lot of fan reconstructions. What they have is a telesnap base. So these were pictures that were taken off the TV screen at the time by a guy who was hired to do this, and that's most of it. But then they add little bits of animation to it mm. to make it more visually interesting. So if if there's, let's say, I don't know, goo covering a mountain, <laughs> yeah. they'll have they'll have a telesnap of goo covering a mountain, but then they'll make it pulse and glow. So there's a little bit of animation there. Mm. And sometimes they'll add completely new animation like if you've got four yetis walking, computer animation is easy enough at home these days that they'll make a, an animation of four yetis walking mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's yeah. it's not just showing you the photos; it's a step up from that, and that's what I did. What did you guys do? So I did the um, the official audio soundtrack, so you can get the audio because all the audio exists for all these these uh, episodes. So you can get the audio where it's got narration in between, and it's narrated by Fraser Hines, who played Jamie. And he's got it. By the way, he's got an awesome narrator voice. I mean, he's just got yeah. the the voice for doing like an audiobook type format. So I did that for part one, and then three through six, and then again on Daily Motion, you can find a quasi legal quote unquote <laughs> copy of episode two that you can watch, and that's what I did. So I listened yeah. to one. Watch two and then listen to three through six through the, the with the linking narration. I I listened to the uh, the audible book version of that like you did, Father Corey. But for the whole thing, I I went you know one through uh, six. I I like to listen on on fast speed just just because mm-hmm. I, I I listen faster than I watch 
uh, obviously. Uh, but I did look at the the stuff on Daily Motion in the 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 loose cannon reconstructions, and just to get an idea of what things looked like, because that's mm-hmm. that's part of it. Is like, because what do these Yeti look like? And they are they are funny looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we may as well get that out of the way. The yeah. the Yeti are apparently over in England considered one of the iconic monsters from the classic Who period, and huh. I'm not entirely sure why, uh, <laughs> because they they look like seven foot tall furry eggplants with or aubergines with arms and legs. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like they're just wobbly furry eggplants that are huge, and they. And they really only showed up in the second Doctor. I mean, this we is don't the only time them. they ever show up, right? No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. They show up again. Oh, okay. There's another story about them, also with the Great Intelligence, called the Web of Fear, which oh, is right. set in the subways. Yep. And then a Yeti also like shows up in the 20th anniversary special briefly, but they're not. These are there are only the two times that they're the main monsters, and they're both in the Troughton era. They they also, if you want to get a sense of what they look like, they look kind of like massive headless teddy bears with gigantic thighs <laughs> and, I, and i do not know why they wanted to make the thighs so huge i mean i would if you want it threatening i would expect the shoulders to be huge but mm-hmm. no the thighs are huge it reminds me of the character torgo in the movie the ha- manos the hands of fate where torgo is sort of meant to be maybe a satyr but he's got under his one-piece jumpsuit, he's got these enormous knees. And it's like, <laughs> why are his knees enormous? Himalayan thunder thighs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should mention, so we, we talked about how we experienced it. Later this year, 2021, you apparently will, will all be able to experience it in full animation. This is another one yes. of the Second Doctor yep. stories that they're going to do is full of And I'm I'm kind of annoyed. Evil of the Daleks, which we just do- talked about not that long ago, will also be available in full animation. I mean, I'm oh I'll, I'll watch it, but mm-hmm. it would have been nice to have that before the, our discussion. So oh, it uh, would have been nice to have everything animated before yeah. our discussions. Why don't they have everything animated yet? Come on, <laughs> come on, get to it. What are y'all doing yeah, in lockdown? <laughs> well, it, it's it is kind of strange that they waited this long to finally do the animation. I, and I think it, the part of the reason why they they did wait is it's kind of an acknowledgement of yeah, we're not going to find any more lost episode. We might find one or two somewhere yeah. in some private collection, but by and large, that well has been tapped. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, I think they've waited for the price of animation to come down, and then they're they're doing it piecemeal. So I think they're like using seeing the profitability of doing one before they do another. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, it will be nice to get those. Yeah. Yeah. In in terms of the original episode, it was written by writing pair Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln. And they did like three stories for Doctor Who before quitting. They wrote this and the sequel to it and one more. But Henry Lincoln is the Henry Lincoln of Bajent Lee and Lincoln, the authors of Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Oh, Which wow. then inspired the Da Vinci Code. Wow. So, so this is <laughs> this is one of his things, yeah. And we talked about him in uh, an episode of Mysterious World. Uh, yes, on Holy back. Blood, Holy Grail. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, one, th- another, a, a couple other little behind the scenes bits. First is the the character of Travers that we're going to meet in a minute. It played in, in this episode. It's played by Jack mm-hmm. Watling, yep. who is the father of Deborah Watling, who plays Victoria. So I thought that was very interesting. Also, and to kind of place this in context, this comes between when we, like I talked about Evil of the Daleks, where Victoria was intro, uh, introduced, uh, or not between, comes after Evil of the Daleks. Then there was Tomb of the Cybermen, which we've mm-hmm. talked about previously in episode 80, way back in episode 82. I can't right. believe how long ago it's been. And uh, and then this. So this is Victoria's third appearance, her second full adventure with the Doctor. And here she's really coming into her own. In Evil of the Daleks, we saw flashes that she could be adventurous, but not not it wasn't fully manifest. And then in Tomb of the Cybermen, she's just dealing with the loss of her father and yes. her whole world. And so she's kind of been kicked back on her heels there. But here she is misadventure. Oh, I yeah. Mean, she, she is more adventurous. In both senses of the gen- term. 
Yeah. <laughs> misadventure. <laughs> she has a bit of a misadventure in, oh, in sure, this, yes. this as well. <laughs> Indeed. But she's more adventurous than Jamie, who comes off as the cautious one in this episode. Yep. So yes. I oh, really yeah. like seeing this adventurous side of, of Victoria. Yeah, it it is it is good. And she'll she kind of makes it two only a few more uh stories before she mm-hmm. ends up getting replaced by Zoe. Uh, so, but yeah, it's good to see to see her having this adventure here, uh, and being a full part of the t- the tar- the Tardis team, the fam. So, <laughs> sorry, they didn't uh, call him back then. <laughs> they didn't I, call him that. I don't mind it. Uh, so let's talk about the story itself. It it takes place in uh, Tibet in the Himalayas, the, and in 1935, which is well before the summoning of uh, of Not Everest. Everest. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of where t- uh, Tibet, Hinim- Himalaya, what its place was in, in the British mindset in in the in the 60s, like how and the 30s, really. You know, they're ch- trying to recreate the mindset toward it. Uh, there, there seems to be a connection here because of the whole India thing, right? Well, I, w- I would assume it was probably uh, at least in the popular mindset of a you know kind of a, a very. I'm blanking on the word now, but you know, it, it, it's so exotic foreign, and alien. Exotic. Yeah. There you go. There yeah. you go. That that's a good. That's the word I'm trying to think of. You know, where it it's so foreign, and of course, in the, in the 30s would have been before China had conquered Tibet, yeah. and it was still on its own. Of course, by the the 60s, that was I, I can't remember when when the Tibetan uh, they were already conquered by then. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Because, but uh, so, it, but it would be just. Just it was it kind of like deepest darkest Africa, that kind of you know very similar type of you know popular it, mindset, except with an intellectual spin because right. of the Buddhism, and right. so they they the, you know the British had contact with and awareness of Buddhism as a kind of an intellectual religion, and but also one that was very exotic, and so they. It had those resonances as well, and of course it's where the Yeti live, and there had been. Mm-hmm. They had in England. They had been aware of Tibetan and Nepalese legends, folklore about Yetis into in, back in the 19th century. So it makes sense mm-hmm. that Travers, the mad anthropologist, would be over there looking for one at this time because British culture had already become aware of Yeti legends. Mm-hmm. And the Doctor has been in Tibet several times in canonical stuff, and like we'll see later. <laughs> In the third Doctor's time, which we've already talked about, uh, his la- the third Doctor's last episode, uh, Planet of the Spiders, where he talks about being, you know, showing that he's familiar with Tibetan customs, and we find out in this uh, story that he's been Tibet at least once before, and maybe more than more than that. Well, so, we know more uh, than once because he's got the the ganta, the bell. Right, right. So that was the previous one, a few hundred years visit, uh, previous to 1935. So, uh, so it. Yeah, T- Tibet has this idea of exotic and far away and alien, and and that really fits with this. They apparently filmed all this in Wales, by the way. So all the outdoor stuff in yep. Wales, the substituting for Tibet. So let's well, talk by, about. By, yeah. By the way, you mentioned the, the planet of the spiders. They use that same chant that Om Mani Padmi Hum, yes. which is the jewel, of the lotus chant. It is actual Buddhist and uh, Hindu chant. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was wondering now, whether or not they're using it properly is another story, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's not meant to distract you from mind control efforts by the great intelligence. That's not <laughs> its real world function. Right. Oh, right, right. So, uh so it opens with this Professor Travers, an anthropologist, and another man uh sleeping camping on a mountainside being attacked by a yeti, which we'll we'll find later is a yeti. Um and and you know he Travers runs screaming into the night, uh, and that's the the cold open. And then we have the TARDIS, where the Doctor and Jamie and Victoria, and the Doctor's very excited about visiting the Himalayas. And Jamie, as a what what was it, eighteenth century Scotsman, 18th century, is not familiar with the Himalayas at all. He doesn't know if it's even on Earth, if where they are. And it's Victoria who, as the nineteenth century uh, Englishwoman, has to explain to him what the what the Himalayas are. So and the doctor is looking for a very specific item that he wants to take to this Det Sen monastery that's nearby, and I, I like the fact that as they're searching for it, Jimmy comes upon some broken bagpipes, 
Yeah. And says, Doctor, you didn't tell me about these. I could fix them easily. And the doctor says, Yes, I was afraid of that. <laughs> I just said that was a great little a little bit. But so the doctor puts on his big fur coat, which plays into the story, and goes out exploring and wants Jamie and Victoria uh, to keep looking for this special Tibetan bell that he has somewhere on the TARDIS. Which they call a ganta, which is a real word for this kind of bell in the real world. Mm-hmm. But it's in used in the Hindu community, oh. as 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 far as I can tell, in Tibetan Buddhism, the this kind of bell is not called a ganta, but a drillbu. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting little uh, mix up, or just maybe they thought ganta was a better word and said, you know, whatever, no one will notice. It, it probably was a word that if, <laughs> if people were familiar with it, they would recognize more than they will drillbu. Right, that's possible. So the, after the doctor, I, 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 I yeah. like though that after the doctor goes, Victoria is is using the controls on this on the console to adjust the scanner angle. Yes, it, it's like go nineteenth century girl. That's awesome. You're already learning how to control the TARDIS. <laughs> and, and the doctor, having seen evidence of something big on the mountainside that's unknown, uh, tells Jamie and, and, and Victoria, "You stay here in the TARDIS. I'm going to go." But you you guys stay inside. It's safer that way. Which, of course, being companions. They, has a companion ever listened to the doctor when he said stay in the TARDIS? Well, temporarily. I mean, Jamie <laughs> wants to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But they don't uh, listen so, to the doctor when he tells them to stay in the TARDIS. They don't listen to the doctor when he tells them to stay away. They don't listen. You know, how many no. times does he say do this? And they're like, oh, we're going to ignore you, doctor. In well, fairness, when he says, when I say run, run, they usually run. Well, that's yeah, true. that's true. <laughs> Well, the the fact is, is given the type of people that the doctor chooses to travel with him, they aren't the type of people who's, who are likely to stay behind and, uh, and and not see something interesting and go after it. So that's just the fact. And and they play with that, especially in the Seventh Doctor's time, you know, where it's like, Ace, do you have any of that Nitro 9 you told me you're not carrying? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Th- <laughs> thanks. So the doctor shows up at the monastery, but gets this hostile welcome from the monks and Travers, the the, the man from the campsite. They oh, think one, that the doctor more, doctor yeah. runs across a dead body. Doctor gets blamed, yep. right? He's accused of being of of attacking Travers and killing the other man because uh, because he's even in a big he's in a <laughs> big fur coat. It's like yeah. like everyone on this mountain. You mean yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right? And and he's twisted the the rifle into a pretzel. No. In any case, while that's happening, Vic- Victoria and Jamie are, have tracked the, the, the these giant footprints in the snow to a cave, and then Jamie thinks the cave looks like someone has built it. They go inside, and then the Yeti seals the cave behind them with a large boulder, and so they're they're stuck inside. Meanwhile, Travers is it thinks that the Doctor is a newspaper man who. Mm mocked him for when he set out on his expedition to find the Yeti, but now is trying to take all the credit and glory for finding Yeti by killing. Like, it's just this, this bizarre, mentally imbalanced he, <laughs> Travers is Travers is living up to his reputation as the mad anthropologist at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. It's, and, the, and the monks, they have this one, like the warrior chief. Of the, apparently, these monks have warriors to defend the monastery. Yeah, I'm not clear on, on the realism <laughs> of that. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem... Uh, all that uh, kosher, but uh, so Chrisong is the head of the warriors, and he's very aggressive. Very, you know, doesn't believe the doctor, doesn't trust anybody. Oh. I, I I love though. At, at one point, he wants to believe Travers because Travers is an Englishman. I was going to th- right. say something and about it's that. Like, yeah. Okay. This is a <laughs> this is a little bit. Uh, hesitate to use the R word here, but um, <laughs> yeah. the writing seems to be a little racist on this point. Yeah. And I mean, and if you're going to do that, at least be consistent. The doctor comes across as an Englishman, too. What do you that's, call that accent? And, that's and they what even I was mention say. it. They yeah. even mention it in the, the episode that he, he's from he's, England. Right. Yeah. I, I thought it was maybe just a little of the, 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 uh, Imperial superiority coming across a bit, you know. Did, uh, yeah, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. I, yeah. I don't know exactly how you <laughs> want to phrase it, but it's like, oh, wow. Yes. Uh, yeah, Normally people aren't so trusting of outsiders. <laughs> yeah. Unless they happen to be, you know, this in- Englishman. Uh, so uh, they, Chris Song wants to kill the doctor because not he, he doesn't really care so much about Travers's campsite uh, friend. 
but something's also killed four of the monks. And so he wants to, like, he, he's, Krisong has decided without trial or evidence that the doctor must be responsible, therefore he must die. But the other monks, a little, a little more, you know, they, maybe we should pray about this and consult the abbot and, you know, and, and, uh, see what's going, what we really should do. Be, you know, follow our path of nonviolence. Right. In any case, while the doctor is being uh, hauled off to the, the Huzgao, Jamie goes, is in the cave and he follows the cave tunnel down and finds a room with a, a pyramid of small silver spheres, which have the ability to roll about on their own. Well, they're horda mm-hmm. eggs at first. You know, yeah. you're in a cave, you find the small metallic spheres. They're obviously horda eggs. But then it turns out that one of them is the bet sphere because it can gonna, move on its own. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. And so I'm like looking at it going, it's the bet sphere. That's where it's come from. It's come from the Himalayas. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, he, he, it, before, the, at this point, they're not rolling around on their own, uh, but it's this little weird pyramid of balls. And so uh, then the Yeti comes back and attacks, and so Jimmy has to go help uh, Victoria. Uh, they end up collapsing but, the roof but J- of Jamie the cave. takes takes one of the spheres. Yes, yes, because mm-hmm. as you do. Yeah. And, and then uh, they collapse the roof of the cave onto the Yeti, and it seems appears to be crushed and dead. Except then it starts moving and and climbing out of underneath the tons of rock for so, somehow. The doctor reveals to the young monk Tomin who or Tomni, not Tomin, Tomni, who is one of the warrior monks under Chrisong, but seems to be a lot more level-headed, a little less bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. And he reveals to him that he was he's been at the monastery before when it was attacked in 1630, and that he has the bell that that. The bell that the doctor was looking for, the Ganta, was uh, thought to have been stolen, but was placed in the doctor's uh, safekeeping, and he's bringing it back and should be welcomed having seen it. So uh, this is this interesting story that we have sort of in the background here of the doctor's previous visit. We don't know who attacked the monastery, why the doctor has this bell. That's all sort of left uh, unmentioned. It's dealt with in spinoff media. The title to look for is Night of the Intelligence. Uh, in uh, Big Finish? Not, or? not Big Finish. It's prose. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Nice. So um, so the, Chris Ong is going to use the Doctor as bait for the Yeti. He's going to tie him up outside. He, the doctor, yeah. King Kong. <laughs> is Yeti bait. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's like something like out of King Kong, you know, where they tie up, uh, what's her name, Fay Ray outside <laughs> for, the, for yeah. the, the, uh, the Kong to come get her. And one of the things that's going on here is, is the Yeti are supposed to be these timid, peaceful creatures and not these savage beasts. And so they think maybe the Doctor has turned them into savage beasts. Like The, the reasons why they want to kill the Doctor keep shifting <laughs> well, <laughs> every time we see them. And they don't last that long. So initially, we have the usual certain parties are adamantly hostile against the Doctor, like mm-hmm. Chris Ong and Travers. While other parties like Tomney and uh, or Thomney and the the Abbot are favorable to the Doctor, yes. so so far everything is playing out as normal. But in episode two, that starts to change because Travers has gone out to look for Yeti, and he runs across Jamie and Victoria. And when he learns that they have actually found the cave of the Yeti and are willing to take him there. And they're clearly associates of the Doctor. This revolutionizes Travers' attitude towards the Doctor, and he concludes mm-hmm. the Doctor was telling the truth. And hereafter, Travers is now a supporter yes. of the Doctor. Also, when the Yetis come to attack, as the story progresses, the Doctor clearly acts, and his companions act, to defend the monastery, which flips Chrisong. Mm-hmm. So Chrisong... Right. By the it, by the by later in the story is now also a doctor supporter, and right. who the doctor opponents are flips. So initially the abbot is like purely seems to be very reasonable and on the doctor's side, but later the abbot kind of flips and becomes antagonistic. And so I find this very interesting, even though this is a six parter that has one location. I mean, we talked in Evil of the Daleks about how that felt interesting all the way through even though it was a six-parter, because it had these three very different locations they traveled mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Here, it's all one setting, but I still find this interesting. I mean, yeah. as as we're rounding the corner, 
my initial plan was, okay, I'm going to watch two episodes one day, two episodes another day, two episodes a third day, so I don't have to watch it all at once, because it's a six-parter. Well, I watched two episodes the first day, and then I came back the second day, and I watched two episodes, and it's like, I want to keep going. I watched... <laughs> I, yeah. Let's do at least yeah. another one. I did episode five. At the end of episode five, I want to see what happens next. Let's do episode six. Right. And so it's a it's an interesting story, and it operates on a somewhat more psychological level mm -hmm. because you have this human mm -hmm. interest with people, you know, changing sides and what are their motives and stuff. It also is interesting for a few production reasons. There's no music in this. Although mm -hmm. we do sometimes, there's no yep. so there's no music soundtrack to tell you what to feel, and that can have that can help conjure this bleak mountainside environment that was meant to be snowy, but they didn't have snow in August in in Wales. They only had <laughs> rain, <laughs> and it sometimes is you'll hear chanting, you know, as part of the background, but that's not a typical TV soundtrack. Sometimes. They will have the set minimally lit by, like, torchlight. And the set itself, when you see it in full light, is really impressive. They've got, of the monastery, they've got these ornate columns. They've got a giant Buddha statue. Mm -hmm. They have interesting costumes on the on the monks. So mm -hmm. it's visually interesting. And, and for a six-parter, I was quite impressed with it. Yeah. Normally, I don't like six-parters. Yeah, there, I mean, there there are times when you can tell they're suffering from small soundstage syndrome, meaning they didn't have a lot of space to put the set in, the sets in, but they did a good job with it too, though. You know, yeah. like you know, so that it does have a bit more of an expansive feel, even though you can kind of tell that no, they're just reusing different parts of the set in different ways to to make it look bigger than it is. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you, Jimmy. I mean, it really was listening to it was very very interesting. You know that it the story moved fairly quickly mm -hmm. and there was some still running through corridors or in in some cases running down the mountain but mm -hmm. it wasn't quite as bad as some episodes where there's half yeah. an episode is just running constantly yeah and and there was a large cast there were a lot of characters you know a lot of different characters you know not so many major characters with lots of lines but there were plenty of different points of view uh you know several different monks including uh monks when, once Chrisson gets on the doctor's side, then there's this other monk who turns out to be the 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 part of the the nemesis team, the the the, uh, the opposing team from the doctor, and that sort of thing. So there's a very interesting. And in fact, we we encounter at, at around this point another part of the opposing team here with this very interesting figure who, like, so when Tomney brings the bell to the, the abbot in the inner sanctum, which only the abbot is supposed to go into. There's this voice first, at first, just this disembodied voice of the master. And I wasn't sure whether it was supposed to be a spiritual thing at first or whether there's a... It turns out it's an this monk who's ancient, hundreds of years old, who's been, who, who was there when the doctor was there 300 years earlier, called Padmasambhava. And so he's got this disembodied voice that keeps changing. It's very much like a Gollum Schmigol thing going on. Uh, where it's, it's it seems like there's two personalities at work, but in fact one of them turns out to be the great intelligence talking through. Yeah, him. and in a way, it's a pity the master hadn't been invented yet because hypnotism plays a huge role in this story. And yep. this this could be a classic master story, right? Where you've With got the master the, mas as, the yeah. master hypnotizing people and controlling the yeti, which you know would be the other thing because the master's just a madman with a box. Right. He needs he needs an opposing he needs an army to serve him, which would be the Yeti in this case. Right. But the master hasn't been invented, and so even though they're constantly talking about the master, it's not who you think. It's right. it's the hundreds hundreds of year old Lama that the monastery has, and I'm not I'm not sure about they they the the authors tried to be true to the way Buddhist stuff works. I'm not sure they entirely succeeded always. Like, if you've got an abbot, why do you have a, this llama guy as well? Yeah. Because llamas are typically, like, the highest-ranking guy, but so are abbots Yeah. In, yeah. in a Buddhist monastery. So I'm not sure about that. Also, there's a bit of a religious issue concerning who this guy is. In Tibetan Buddhism... Padmasambhava is a real guy. 
he's the second Buddha after mm. the, after Siddhartha Gautama. There, there are all kinds of biographies about him. He's a major figure in Tibetan Buddhism, and it's going to turn out, and this is the reason he's got the Gollum Smeagol thing going on, is he, the great pos- intelligence has been possessing him mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. It's enslaved him, and it periodically takes control, and it sets limits on what he can do, and it forces him to do certain things. And there's not an exact equivalent to this in the Christian religion, but it's he Padmasambhava is a major Buddhist religious figure in Tibetan mm. Buddhism. Mm. This is a little bit like saying the patriarch Abraham was possessed by an artificial by a space intelligence and mm. forced to do things. Yeah, if it's the same guy, and it may be because he's hundreds of years old. On the other hand, maybe it's someone who's named after him, but it's unclear. The the TARDIS wiki says that this is the Padmasambhava who right. s- for centuries traveled the higher realms and was revered as Rinpoche, uh, and then returned to the physical plane in 1625 at the Detsen Monastery, where at which point the doctor showed up. So... Right, that's based partly off spinoff media. Okay. I, I, I saw that, but they never establish on screen in this episode, is right. he the second Buddha of Tibetan Buddhism? Okay, okay, I see. Yeah. But he's. they say enough about him, he could be. And right. this is a little bit like in you know having Abraham or Moses or someone possessed by an alien intelligence. It's very tricky and probably would never be done today. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, in any case, he seems to think favorably of the doctor, at least at first. Well, Padmasambhava oh, does. does. Yeah, yeah, thinks favorably mm-hmm. of the doctor. But the other, the great intelligence, which which is possessing him, is does not. Obviously, he's the he's a bad guy. He's evil. So you have this him sort of swaying back and forth. He, but he does give the order to the abbot that the doctor and his companion should be treated with kindness and gentleness, and that's sort mm-hmm. of what releases the doctor from his accusations. And this is another part of what makes this interesting, because just like Travers and Chrisong have now flipped and become doctor supporters, we're seeing ambivalence on their form on the part of their former protectors, which was the abbot and uh, Padmasambhava, right, under the influence of the intelligence. Speaking of the intelligence itself, I really like the way the intelligence is used as a villain in this story. I like it a lot better than anything Stephen Moffat did. With the great mm. intelligence, right? We should the, mention that it shows up in the Christmas special that we'll cover in, in, at some point with the Eleventh Doctor called the Snowman, right? And yeah. it shows up in the name of the Doctor, mm. where the great intelligence forces oh. the Eleventh Doctor to the planet Trenzalore in hopes of killing him and destroying his timeline. And Claire, the Impossible Girl, saves him. Right. 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 And the intelligence, I think, also is in that Spoonhead's AI episode early on in the Clara run. Hmm. In any event, the great intelligence is a disembodied intelligence. It does not have a native physical form. It's from another dimension, apparently. But it wants a physical form in our and, and stuff in our universe, because our universe is where all the good stuff is. Hmm. And so... It has been manipulating Padmasambhava for centuries, and he's got this weird-looking face as a result of that, mm-hmm. the, it, which is, they don't really explain it. It's just another creepy aspect. He's obviously done something to the face of this Buddhist Lama, and he's not always in control of him. And as a result of that, we have this slow build to the introduction and the full revelation of the intelligence. And that's a device I look for in fiction it is characters that are being alluded to and mentioned, but we don't meet, because then when we do meet them, it's very impactful. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like in the movie uh, The Third Man, where you're hearing about, you know, the main character goes to Vienna, Austria after World War II. He's looking for his friend Harry Lyme, but Harry Lyme has died. You keep hearing about Harry Lyme, Harry Lyme, Harry Lyme for the first half of the movie, and then wham! Harry Lyme is alive, mm. and that is very impactful. And Orson Welles even talked about how the best roles are the ones where you have this long buildup before the character finally emerges. Right. 
And that's what we have here with the great intelligence. He's not flouncing around being evil like he is in the Stephen Moffat era. We have this <laughs> long build of you know him in the background slowly coming out before the big reveal at the end, and it's much more satisfying as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is this talk by Padmasambhava about the you know the doctor is very you know uh, very intelligent, but he could hinder the great plan, and we don't we don't know what the great plan is yet at this point. Presumably, it involves the great intelligence doing something evil to the earth, but <laughs> there there is some great plan at work. Uh, so that's there's this conflict, and, and there's ambiguity because at some at one point the doctor says something like that could imply this could threaten the whole world, but on the other hand. All we ever see is it is the great intelligence wants this mountain. He just wants to be a glop, a big glop of goo covering this mountain. Right, right, yeah. Um, Which so, makes this episode a, a property rights issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> Possession, nine tenths of the law. So uh, Travers, Ooh, ha- in in both senses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Travers ends up bringing Jamie. You know, after encountering Jamie and Victoria on the mountain, brings them to the monastery. And tries to tell the monks that it was all a mistake. That no, you know, that the, they're they're not at fault here. But Chrisong wants to string them up too anyway as bait. Eventually, the uh, then the Tomney shows up with the, the abbot's order to be nice to them. Eventually, uh, some yeti show up, and the doctor wants to capture one. Jamie comes up with a plan to capture one of them. They get it in a net. Uh, there, and, there's a there's a great line here. I love this one. Jetty, uh, J- Jamie has thought of his plan, and the doctor doesn't know what it is, but the doctor turns and says, Victoria, I think this is one of those instances where discretion is the better part of valor. Jamie has an idea. Come along. (laughs) 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 Whatever Jamie's idea is, we should back up. (laughs) So uh, they they captured a net, and it stops moving, so they think it's dead, Uh, but then the doctor figures out that the Yeti uh, you know, once they get inside and they examine it, is a robot. It's made of metal, and outside we see that this the one of those silver spheres has fallen out of the Yeti. It's his USB yes. drive has gotten disconnected. Serious design mm. flaw. It is a bad design flaw, uh, and it's stuck in the in the snow or the mud or whatever. I I shall build my robot warriors that have a control device that can fall out of their chest whenever <laughs> they go into battle. I'll make it round <laughs> so it rolls really easy out of the chest cavity. Uh, uh, so they find the little hole, and they don't know what it's for at first because they haven't seen the, the sphere. And then the uh, the sphere outside starts communicating with the sphere that Jamie brought in. that's inside. So th- there's a lot of back and forth here. Yeah. There's back and forth, but the basic idea is the one outside is stuck in the mud. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it can't. It these spheres want to get back. The control units or spheres want to get back into the Yeti so they can carry out their orders. And the one outside is stuck in the mud, so it starts talking to the one inside and alerts it to the fact that the Yeti is missing its its control uh, device. And so now it's going to sneak around the monastery and eventually get back in the Yeti. Right. For like the next episode or so, it's like it's sneaking around. Uh, as people walk by, it'll sneak down the corridor as when they're not looking, that sort of thing. I do like Victoria has a when well, they can't find the sphere when it, it's gone missing. They think Travers took it to go look for the Robo Yetis, and Victoria has a great line that says, "Well, one thing's for certain, it didn't walk away on its own." Well, actually, it, did. yeah, it didn't walk it did. away; it rolled away. It's, yeah. it's it's the bet sphere, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and if you want to know what that is, go listen to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. We have an episode on a on this mysterious object found by the Betts family that would apparently roll around on its own and it'd do all kinds of interesting things. Yes, and yeah. no one knows why and how. Uh, so. And we also see that Padmasambhava has this game board in his uh, inner sanctum and with figures on it and you know a model of the monastery. And so he's apparently controlling the robo-yeti using th- these figures on the game board. They're sort of like a remote control for them. If he moves yeah. them into the monastery, they attack the monastery. If he moves them out, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, there's, there's a bit of control going on here w- uh, with, with him. By the way, the discovery that this Yeti, this fierce Yeti, is a robot is good news for Travers. Yes. Because now Travers realizes, oh, if if the reason the Yeti have been fierce lately is because they're all robots, that means the timid Yeti that I want to discover 
could just be in hiding. Right. And so I, I can continue my survey. So that's yes. so that's good news for him. One thing I found very interesting now in I didn't think to look for it in episode two, but you guys can tell me if it's there in the audio versions you listen to. When the Yeti show up, and there's this lub dub rapid, it's it lub dub lub dub lub dub lub dub thing that's kind of reminiscent of a heart, but also sounds kind of mechanical sound effect that signifies that the Yeti are present and active. I found that an effective piece of sound design because it's mm. nice to have this unnerving, sort of familiar. This is kind of like a heartbeat, but it's not a heartbeat noise to signify the presence of these sinister robots. I, re- I remember hearing, especially with the spheres communicating with each other, when they're active, they make this noise. I remember that part. Yeah, And then having them present with the Yeti, that is kind of an effective connection and showing that these are something strange present. It's mm-hmm. not, besides just being a abominable snowman, it's something even more strange and perhaps mechanical or something like that. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty effective. Yeah, I don't remember hearing it much beyond part two, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't there, you know, because, of course, stuff like that can kind of become background noise, which is the point of it. It, It's meant to be. Although it is funny where the the things rolling, the spears are rolling around making this noise and people walk right past. It's like, I don't hear anything. (laughs) (laughs) I, I always assume in those cases, it's like when you hear explosions in space that are really loud, the microphone is inside the thing. Yeah. Right. So it's <laughs> like, right. this is what it would sound like if I was in the exploding spaceship, or this is what it would sound like if I was inside the little sphere that's sneaking by. Right. The design of the sphere I saw in, in the little behind the scenes snippet was kind of interesting because, you know, in 1967, they didn't have, you know, Arduinos and all the little microcontrols we have, but they did manage to make this remote control, radio controlled device. It doesn't roll like on a gyroscope inside, there's actual wheels on the bottom. That they yeah. used, yeah, Little but they're caterpillar very caterpillar treads. Yeah, it, it's hard to see from from the full uh, view of the camera, but uh, yeah, it was very clever. Mm-hmm. So, as we mentioned, Victoria's misadventures earlier, despite Tommy's admonition, repeated ab- ab- admonition that the sanctum is taboo, you are not allowed there. It is forbidden. She cavalierly insists on lo- allowing her curiosity to bring her to that sanctum and to go sneak inside, like. No, you're not allowed in there. That is rude. <laughs> no, yeah. No, uh, it's my curi- it's not only rude, it's sacrilegious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And she uh, just she repeatedly says, well, I don't understand why I can't go in there. Well, how about because you were told you can't go in there? Is, is that a good enough reason? <laughs> what are you, five? <laughs> Come on. Oh, meanwhile, Padma Sambhava tells the abbot, Songston, to bring uh, this small crystal-looking pyramid that he produces from behind his throne to the cave where it will allow the great intelligence to take on physical form on Earth. And as we mentioned, you know, so at, at this point I was writing down where we'd seen the great intelligence in the 2012 Christmas episode, that it'll be back in the second Doctor's time in the, the mm-hmm. Web of Fear, which will in- mm-hmm. also include the, the Yeti and some of these other characters. Well, that and seen. that also includes Lethbridge Stewart. Right, his first appearance. So... uh well, we've got uh, that, and then we've got the uh, the other one, um, the Trenzalore episode, which is it was a, name yeah, of the, the Doctor. Name of the Doctor. So yeah, so it's, and, and it's, I think it's also in the Spoonheads Wi-Fi episode, right, the Bells of Saint John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the one I, I looked up while we were talking. Okay, so the Doctor and Jamie have to go back to the TARDIS to get some tracking equipment. They want to track oh, the radio signals for once. <laughs> it's like the, the TARDIS is a technological wonderland. It's got to have all kinds of useful gadgets in there that could help you resolve situations. I love the fact that for once they think, oh, we have something on the TARDIS that could help with this. Let's go get it. <laughs> right. Uh, and and while they're doing that, the sphere in the monastery eventually gets into the the dis- deactivated yeti and reactivates it, and it starts wrecking the place uh, until it can as, leave the as monastery. As Victoria's standing there, as Victoria's standing there is when it comes to oh, life. She's right. in that room, right? Which leads and- Chris Song to then again, or somebody. I don't think it's Chris Song. Maybe somebody else to suspect that Victoria is the she devil who's controlling the Robo yeah. Yeti. Based on zero evidence, just proximity to the to the thing when it comes alive. Right. We should also mention, you know, that with with the with a lot of the uh, 
mind control and stuff that's going on that there's a couple of times victoria is one of them uh that tommy is another one where you you forgot that i'm here or you, for, you, you, <laughs> yes. you forget that you've ever been in this yeah. room and that the abbot uses this several times to come and go from the right. abbey to get to past the, the guard yeah, to yeah. get past the guard to go to the cave uh but th- th- this is one of those times where we see that happen where she forgets that she was in the this yeah, room. these yeti aren't the robots you're looking for <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah, that's right i was gonna say that uh yes the the tv hypnotism uh which is so effective in, in any case uh the, the the doctor and jamie uh on the mountain they find three inanimate yetis standing around and as they as they're there they see the yeti re- reactivate actually i don't think they see them reactivate they leave and then the yeti reactivate and surround the abbot who's carrying the pyramid under hypnosis to the cave. And Travers follows them to the cave. Right. Where he, he goes in and as this pyramid is activating it like it, it emits this sound and light and Travers is is overcome with it. We should say this pyramid is because when you think pyramid you think Khufu's pyramid on Giza, which is yeah. massive and too big to carry. This is a much, much, much smaller pyramid that mm-hmm. is portable right it's like maybe a foot uh, uh on each side right and it's and it's glass or right. you know clear anyway and so when the abbot goes into the uh under the influence of hypnotism goes into the cave he puts it in the center of a group of the spheres that he's arranged and then right. it activates it starts glowing and it starts emitting goo <laughs> yes, it's the goo yep. pyramid, uh, worst pyramid ever. So the uh, <laughs> so da- the doctor Jamie have got to the the TARDIS. There's a Yeti, an inanimate Yeti, guarding it. So he goes up to it to, to see if it's alive, which is, seems like a a little precipitous. And he uh, ends up using his screwdriver to remove the control sphere, but not that screwdriver. This is just a regular old this regular real boring non sonic screwdriver. <laughs> Yes. The, the, yeah. the Sonic doesn't show up for the first time for a couple stories. In fact, this season it'll show up, but not till later, right? I think it is. It and the doctor even shows says, up in Fury who, from the Deep. Yeah. Doctor Doctor even says who would who would attack a, a Yeti with a screwdriver? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because Jamie says why he Jamie points out the design flaw. Like, why would you like put this thing right there on the front of it uh, where anyone could find it and realize it's a robot and not a Yeti? It's like who's gonna approach a yeti with a screwdriver to un- to unscrew that <laughs> we then we then have a little misadventure here where the because and this is how they learned that the spheres move because now that yeah. they've taken the sphere out of this yeti it wants to get back in it's yeah. got mm-hmm. this jones to get back inside its big robotic body and jamie is having trouble restraining the sphere from doing that and it kind of takes both of them to do it eventually jamie hands it to the doctor and as the doctor is restraining the sphere from getting back inside the Yeti, he tells Jamie to get a rock and put it in the in the chest control slot so the sphere can't get in there. Right. And and Jamie does that, meaning that he has now given this Yeti a heart of stone. <laughs> oh. I will take your heart of silver spear and replace it with a heart of stone. <laughs> so Padma Sambhava is... Uh, now he's got the abbot back, and he's he's uh, expostulating about you know giving us some some uh, exposition on the story so far. The he tells him that great intelligence is taking form, but it needs room to expand, sort of like Khrushchev at the UN. And so the mm. monks must leave the monastery now because the because the the great intelligence is going to take over the whole mountain. It's not just the cave. And this is actually you know not as evil as it could be. At least he's given him notice. He could right. just gr- grow goo all over and suffocate everybody. <laughs> That's he's, right. letting, he's letting him get out. Right, right. It's it's not that it's not an evil intelligence. It's just a, like a kind of a bad intelligence. Yeah. Uh, Victoria, <laughs> Victoria and Tommy are have been locked up as suspects in the reactivation of the of the Robo Yeti, and he wa- doesn't want her. They're not, well, they're not really locked up. They're they're being kept in the cells, but I think it's unlocked. I, I was I was unclear from the listening to it. But she ends up tricking Tomney into escaping from the cell so she can go back to the inner sanctum again, because that's, that's her thing. And Chris Song, meanwhile, refuses to leave the monastery. Uh, I will not obey the abbot. I'm going to f- drive these Yeti away. Because the abbot's excuse for why we have to leave the monastery is, 
we just can't defeat these these bad yeti and we you know we can't risk losing anymore Song's got kind of a habit of this, though, of, of disobedience. Like early on when he wants to kill the doctor, he says, you must I always consult the abbot before I take decisive action. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's kind of your that's, job. <laughs> that's kind of the thing. You obey, you obey the, the uh, abbot, right? It's because you're not and, the And eventually abbot. he does. There eventually there's a scene where he, he you know, emits that he is being disobedient. and Rice. Right, right. Which is good. To, which good uh, Victor- Victoria gets uh, hypnotized again by Padmasambhava, who, oh, who, who I, I, programs her at this point with a post-hypnotic yep. suggestion. Yeah, and I love so so. It's again the it it's he's not just being completely evil. It's like he's hypnotizing her to help get everyone out, yep. right? Before the intelligence covers the mountain, and so he gives her two instructions. One of them is to take the bell and give it to the monks and have Padmasambhava speak through her to the monks and tell them to leave. And as their revered founder saying, here's the bell, get out of here, right. know, go found a new monastery elsewhere, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll take that seriously, especially when it's delivered in this fantastic fashion with his voice coming out of the little girl and right. yeah. you know it's like they've he's never addressed us directly in this way before so they'll take it very seriously and then secondly victoria is hypnotized to after she's delivered the bell and the message to the monks she's to wait for the doctor and when she hears the doctor's voice she's supposed to say doctor there is great danger you must take me away take me away take me away and right. unfortunately, that's all that she's programmed <laughs> to say when she hears the doctor's voice. So every time Patrick Troughton speaks, Victoria says, Doctor, there is great danger. You must take me away. Take me away. Take me away. <laughs> yeah, it becomes pretty clear very quickly. This isn't uh, uh, authentic Victoria speaking. Well, you know, we could tell at that point the Vesta Narada got a hold of her, and that's all she had left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's her ghost signal. <laughs> hey, who turned out the lights? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and Papa Samova, speaking through Victoria, does also repeat, the doctor and the companions are blameless and innocent and must be carried away to safety. So, again, this, I think it's the, the good Padma Sambhava fighting against the bad uh, great intelligence and there's this internal mm-hmm. war going on for him in, uh, that he's losing uh, and that's what makes it so interesting is yeah. because we don't have just unalloyed evil here right uh when the doctor goes to talk to padma samava he he this is when the padma reveals that he astral traveled made and that's when he made mental contact with the great intelligence which now controls his mind and body um and uh, there's a moment yeah. where he seems and, and to die. As we're going to talk about on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, <laughs> out-of-body travel involves certain dangers. Be yes. careful about what strange intelligences you talk to <laughs> on the astral plane. That's right. That's right. So uh, he, so, so at the conclusion of their conversation, the Padma seems appears to die, but it's only a ruse. Uh, he's, he's not really dead yet. Not dead yet. I think I'll go for a walk. <laughs> the doctor... No, you know, knows that this growing fear in Victoria is designed to get him to take her away from the monastery. And if he doesn't take her away, she might go mad. That's that's a real danger. Mm-hmm. And so, and Jamie's like, "You're you're taking a big risk with Victoria here, like do- Doctor. You, you, you know, are you sure this, we should be doing this?" But he does give her this new post hypnotic suggestion to forget the previous one. He takes her back, regresses her in her memory to before she was hypnotized. By so he does a, a system restore, Windows system restore on, on Reboot, her memory. Yeah, yeah. control and, and, starts to hypnoti- and, and, and starts to hypnotize Jamie, too, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As he's doing the suggestion for her to sleep, he has to go, Jamie, oh, uh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> oh, not you, Jamie. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, he finds a system restore point from before she was hypnotized by the great intelligence and resets her memory to there. So she only remembers up to that point. She doesn't remember being hypnotized by the great intelligence and thus loses the uh, corrupt data that he fed into the system. Right. And it basically makes her think that she just kind of dozed off there in the chair. And she's coming at, into wake mode now. 
Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, and so now the monks have to come to terms with the abbot that has being controlled by Padmasambhava and the Great Intelligence, and that, that Padmasambhava has been controlled by the Great Intelligence. Oh, the spe- this specific line, is, is, or uh, with, with regard to the abbot, is, yeah. Thomney says, he was put in a trance by the master. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That that seems like, prophetic. Yeah, this <laughs> certainly would work as a master story. Every time yeah. they mention the master, I keep thinking of that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so uh, some of the monks are going to leave, but Travers and another monk have decided to go attack the great intelligence in its cave where it's oozing. Oh, I, I, another point of cons- consonance. So the great intelligence is masquerading itself as Padmasambhava. Well, the master loves to hide his identity, too. Right, yep. right. Uh, especially as ancient uh, wise beings. I almost wonder if it isn't a coincidence, though, that it— because it was only a couple of years later that we, we find the master, that we see the master, that he, he appears. Yeah. I almost wonder if they said, you know, we had this idea back here. Maybe we yeah. could make that a person instead. Yeah, yeah. The great I intelligence mean, being— Because like, like you said, there's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of coincidences, and, yep. you know, and, and let, let's be honest, Doctor Who's good at stealing from its own— history still so right <laughs> so the doctor has figured out that there's a control room that the inside the inner sanctum the, that's controlling everything including the yeti uh and they need to get in there and so he he has to engage in mental slash physical psychic combat with the great intelligence so that jamie and tomney can sneak past and get into the control room but as they're doing this Pabasamava brings the Yeti in to the monastery, and Victoria has to come help. She gets hypnotized, but by reciting the Lotus Prayer we mentioned, she she uh, fights it. Oh, <laughs> so this was this was something the doctor, you know, had suggested that Tomney teach Victoria as a distraction, so she could focus mm-hmm. on something. If the Great Intelligence tries to hypnotize her again. Yeah. And it's like, okay, she's from 19th century England. I'm pretty sure she knows another religious formula she can say. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like the Lord's Prayer. Right. You know, <laughs> she doesn't need any special training or worry, am I going to forget part of this? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie stops, uh, he has to smash a sphere that he finds. That stops the Yeti, but it doesn't stop the great intelligence. They realize they have to destroy the that there's a, another pyramid in the control room. And so Jamie and Tomney just go to town on this control room. They start smashing <laughs> everything in sight. Let's go, Tomney. We're, we're, let's go to work. And uh, I think he literally uh, uses uh, that phrase, let's go to work. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's some great stuff in this sequence. This is a very tense ending. Mm-hmm. As everything is building, I mean, we have the Yeti attacking, we have the glowing goo spreading all over the mountain. The principals are alone because the monks have left. Yes. So this is like just the Doctor, Jamie, Tomney, and Victoria taking on the Great Intelligence. And they don't know it, but Travers is coming back too. But it's the main cast has been severely thinned out. They are this is this is really tough. The doctor is out of action because he's got to keep using his mind to block the great intelligence. And the that means the least experienced people are are having to do the physical stuff and they're smashing stuff, not really knowing and this is part of the problem. Jamie doesn't really know what to smash. Right. Uh, and that's that's why this goes on as long as it does, because some of the equipment he's destroying is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, uh, Padmasambhava is more under the control of the great intelligence. And he, like, at one point when Travers comes in and fires a gun at him, he telekinetically stops the bullet. Yep. Yep. You know, and it's like, wow, this is really a tense confrontation. Mm -hmm. And I did, I forgot to mention also, like, previously, the the great intelligence through Padmasambhava gets the Songsten, the abbot, to kill Chrisong. So there's a, yeah. there's a scene where he ends up killing him after Chrisong has redeemed himself. Uh, so the he's... security chief is the red shirt in this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they end up destroying the console, destroying the pyramid, which destroys the great, or stops the great intelligence, doesn't destroy it, but stop, mm-hmm. destroys its physical manifestation on the mountain. And afterward... When they smash the pyramid. When they smash yep. the pyramid. And afterward, Padmasambhava, who is now released is now going to be able to die, finally, that he's been asking. That, he, that was the promise 
that the great intelligence has made is after we uh, finish the great plan, I'll let you die. But at some point, he realized that that was a lie, that he wasn't going to be allowed to, to, to rest. And so now he's dying. And thanks to the doctor for bringing him peace as he dies. And, and what they filmed was a scene of his face melting. Ooh. But it was considered too disturbing to be broadcast at the time. So it was cut from the broadcast version, though it still exists. Hmm. And you can look at outtakes and see, watch watch his face melt. <laughs> I'm hoping that this will be restored in the animation that comes out next next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. animation should make it a little more uh, less intense, so that they can they can do that. Well, I, I mean, it was always just a face mask with goo dripping out of it. But well, you know. yeah. No, but for the say, kids, does it look anything? Kids. Does it look anything like you know the Indiana Jones Nazi face melt? Or- <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 not that intense. It's okay. much more low key. I mean, I saw that when I was twelve, and that that's left an impression. Uh, so, <laughs> oh yeah. So um, as they are leaving the monastery, the Doctor and the and companions and Travers, they this is when they actually see a a real oh, and, yeti, and th- they have Tomney sound the monastery gong to tell the monks oh. it's okay to come back. Right. Right. So they they see a real yeti, timid. It runs away uh, because it's scared of them, and and Travers scampers after it. Yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> Yahoo! Uh, it's like Corne- <laughs> Yukon Cornelius <laughs> going out into the uh, wilderness, uh, and he, he chases after him up the mountain, and he's uh, renewing his mad dis- uh, travels to find the yeti and document it. Uh, and that's where we end. Uh, they go back into the TARDIS, and they're off to their next journey. Hopefully, as Jay. Uh, there is a nice thing about Jamie's been wearing a kilt the entire time, and so <laughs> he's a little cold, and his like his knees are blue, and the, and I think the doctor says, uh, "Perfectly horrible sight." Yes, what a horrible sight of your blue, your blue knees. Let's go someplace warm. So hopefully uh, that's yes, hopefully, and that's where they that's where they end it. So, so uh, last thoughts on this episode, Father Corey. Enjoy enjoyed the episode a bunch, you know, being able to see the second episode, the actual, the broadcast, you know, video of it really kind of renews my wish that somehow we could, that these, these episodes would, would show up. But again, like, like I said, at the beginning, it's, it's probably unless like one or two happens to show up in some private collection somewhere, it's not, not likely. So look forward to the animation to get to see this as, mm. you know, an actual video episode. Jimmy? Like I said, I really enjoyed this story much more than I expected to, given that it's a six-parter. I liked the atmosphere. I liked the complexity of the characters involved, where you have the cardboard bad guys flip to become good guys, and you mm-hmm. have the cardboard good guys become ambiguous. Yep. I, it, I liked Victoria's sense of adventure in this. I liked the set. It was the set was very impressive. By the way, mm-hmm. at one point they have the Buddha statue fall over and and crush, crush kill somebody. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I like the sound design with the lack of music, but the sound effects like the lub dub whenever the Yeti mm-hmm. are around and active, or at least their spheres are. There's just a lot of clever stuff here. One thing I noticed is after the doctor finally once he's inside the monastery and he gets out of his big fur coat, which is iconic for the second doctor. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He, it's one of his iconic looks. He's wearing a huge, enormous, elaborate, ornate scarf. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's, that's right. It's not quite Tom Baker length, but it's big and fancy. So apparently, <laughs> that's something that can run through incarnations. Interesting. One of the things I saw while I was looking up this episode, and in fact, it's in the Daily Motion reconstruction, is some behind the scenes material, including an interview with a woman who was a production assistant on this serial. And she talks about how the the filming this on location in Wales was really difficult because of that aforementioned rain and, and everything. And how the cameraman, the, they, they had a limited amount of time, a small window of time. They weren't sure they could film it all. And this cam- the, cam- the director of photography put the camera on his back and carried it all over and got all the shots. And she says, it's such a shame that all of that is gone because we only have is the mm-hmm. second episode. And uh, so that is a shame that all of that work is lost, but, uh, but we will preserve it. Hopefully they can figure out a way to preserve it in some way through animation in, in some form. Yeah. One, one thing that I've uh, read about this, and I don't know if this is true a hundred percent, but it is one of the things that said about this episode. So 
the Yeti costumes are fur over a bamboo frame mm-hmm. mm. and with padding for the for the you know performer inside. And allegedly, now because of the rain, the ground was slippery, and they would constantly be fall. The Yeti actors would constantly be falling down mm. in their costumes, and they'd have to pick them up and blow dry the fur and brush it out and fluff them <laughs> up again. Right. But a- allegedly, one of the performers, because they're on a mountain, one yep. of the performers fell hundreds of feet. Oh, wow. And, and, and was feared dead. But he was, like, drunk and partially relaxed and, and also <laughs> in this bamboo-padded suit and survived. <laughs> wow. Wow. Impressive. With the, uh, was it the, the angels preserved the, uh, it's fools and small children? Uh, all right so let's uh i think we should wrap it up there uh we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of doctor who including anna d gerard t buck and julianne t daniel r and mark a their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of doctor who in all the shows at starquest you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Abominable Snowmen? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the, 11th, the first part of an 11th Doctor two-parter called The Rebel Flesh. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Dom, there is great danger. You must take me away. <laughs> take me away. Take me away. <laughs> Calgon, take me away. <laughs> Father Corey Stegan, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Doctor, while you're fiddling with that thing, this fear's calling up all the Yeti in creation. Right. This is going to be fun.